welcome to another episode of Ship It and Sip It. I'm excited to have a special guest here with us today, Yasna Clemente. She is an expert on e-networking and a specialist on building brands and personal brands on LinkedIn specifically. Welcome to the show, Yasna. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks, John. Thank you for having me. Uh, tell us a little bit about your path to uh, what you do currently. How did you become an e-networking expert and why is this your specialty? Well, it's, it's quite a diverse and long path. Um, I started in finance, uh, transitioned into publishing, and then in the mid of my career ended up in marketing uh, for the largest software engineering company here in the region uh, with about 1,500 um, engineers employed. And we didn't have, it was an engineering company, so we didn't have these big budgets uh, to, for marketing. So the, the only solution how you would sell the business, how you would sell solutions that they were doing was actually to build thought leaders. So my job was actually to pump engineers um, who were business developers to become thought leaders. And this is how eventually I have gotten into this LinkedIn uh, game, coaching LinkedIn. Um, and um, then I've really deepened, doubled down on LinkedIn for a few years. I coach more than 100 people. Um, and I realized actually, if you wanna really simplify uh, what LinkedIn is all about, you, you could have thousands of angles on LinkedIn and you need a lot of soft skills, but if you really wanna start out, so for the beginners or for people who are not active on LinkedIn, the first thing that you have to learn is a soft skill and it's actually e-networking. So this is how I got into this e-networking uh, game. Super, yeah, it sounds uh, quite familiar, at least from, from my perspective, parts of it. And um, one of our goals at Paralect for the year for a lot of our leaders is to become more public. Uh, and, and that can be on Twitter, that can be on LinkedIn, that can be on whatever channel they choose. I'm curious, though, um, why you, you focused mostly on LinkedIn. What do you see as the benefits to that community, that platform, as opposed to some others? Uh, I mean, if we speak about building a personal brand um, from the founder's perspective or a business developer perspective, you could do that on any platform. Yeah, um, And I would say probably for some B2C products, um, starting on Instagram or TikTok, who knows? Uh, this is probably a, a, an excellent idea. The reason why I love LinkedIn and why I kind of like recommend people to start with LinkedIn is because it's not only because it's a professional platform, but because it's a social networking site. So it's kind of a surrogate for your CRM, if you want, because usually um, normal, we as normal people, if you don't really work in a scale up, you wouldn't have a customer relationship management system. So your contacts would be not, wouldn't be organized. So LinkedIn is actually a surrogate for that because if you say to people, oh, I met you there, I met you there, then maybe in a few years or months when you have another interaction, if you're great at note-taking um, and writing personal messages, you're gonna know how you connected with that person. So it's, um, it, it's a two-way process on LinkedIn also, because it's this friends of a friend zone that you gotta penetrate into and other networks, they don't function that way. So I can go 
um, since we're connected on your network and see whom you know, and then maybe I can ask you for an introduction. Um, so I see your network if we are connected. This is not possible in that, uh, to that level or to that granularity on other networks at the moment. Yeah, um, it's something very unique. I know that uh, people sort of have a love-hate relationship with LinkedIn. Uh, speaking at least from my experience talking with engineers specifically here, uh, they tend to avoid it because there are just a lot of recruiters there. And every time they open LinkedIn, they've got a bunch of cold messages from recruiters looking to get them to switch companies. Uh, so. That, that's kind of the sentiment in our area. Uh, but it depends how you cultivate those relationships. And I could see that being a problem for some people, or a turnoff at least. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, personal brands, uh, personal branding for entrepreneurs and building in public. And then also a little bit specifically, I'd like to dig into the difference between e-networking and personal branding. But let's start with branding. Um, we know that businesses build company brands like Apple, BMW, all of those people, all of those companies. Um, others build very personality first brands. Think like Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk's Twitter account. Uh, those are all the famous examples. So let's dig into this for startups. What do you think is more important? And maybe it depends on the target market. Uh, should founders be looking at building up their startup's brand or their own brand as a founder? Yeah, it's, it's actually a lot of debate on that on LinkedIn as well. Um, and I think the trend, it's actually going in favor to build a founder's brand, actually to tell a founder, founder's story and then use this as a channel. Um, it's actually a new book. I don't know if you've seen it by Dave Ger Gerhardt. He's like this huge B2B marketeer, and he talks exactly about that, about uh, telling a story as a founder. And they have been, there have been quite a few successful, I mean, a lot of successful examples on LinkedIn um, where founders have exposed themselves and also the employees. Um, one of them, of course, it's definitely the Shield, um, Shield app. This is analytics for personal brands on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And all their team or a lot of their team members are active on LinkedIn and it's actually a part of their uh, strategy. Um, on the other hand, there are some companies who don't allow uh, their, I would say, employees to be exposed. Actually, in, it's, in their procedures, it's prohibited. One of them I heard, it's Oracle. Um, so um, this is actually another example, but I would bet on building a personal brand of employees and of founders. Uh, this is really something uh, to actually work on because it's so much more, um, it's not fake or you don't have to invest that much as if you would be investing when you would be building a brand from scratch. Yeah, It's a faster way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm curious about the value, maybe beyond just founders, the value of a personal brand for the company itself. Um, how can we sort of make that connection between I have established myself with a personal brand and a voice and I have a community on LinkedIn. How can we go about transforming that into value for the, for the startup? Yeah, I mean, and first of all, you, 
already have an audience, yes. Yeah? So it depends what your startup is doing. Uh, is your audience aligned with uh, the brand uh, that startup has? Um, and, but if it is, this is probably a huge benefit for them because you help them out spread the word. Because on LinkedIn, it's all about personal, unless you have huge, huge budgets, but it's all about uh, spreading personal um, news through personal connections. So people would connect with people. They would not connect. They wouldn't care about the brands. They would connect caring, connecting with the person and they would care what this person thinks, writes, what kind of val values they have. So that's one of the reasons why this personal branding or I actually prefer to call it professional branding is so important. The reason is because uh, if you kind of say, oh, building the personal brand, a lot of people think about this Instagram or TikTok influencers. And this is not what you're supposed to do on LinkedIn. Um, it's still, even if you talk about personal stuff, this is still your professional brand. Um, it's not um, the influencer, so to say. Yeah. Uh, I draw a line here. Yeah, for sure. And I've seen a lot of people give the advice that you should uh, focus on a very specific topic with a lot of your content. And to me, that seems like well, on LinkedIn, it makes sense because what you do is sort of what you become an expert at and you, you stay within that realm. Um, but on other platforms, I feel, I don't know, it feels quite limiting. Like, uh, like I'm more than my job. I learn more about life than only at work. Um, what is your take on that? Do you think people should be known as, hey, I'm, the, I'm John, I'm the content marketing guy? Everything you read from my account will be, or 99% will be about content marketing, about how to do it better. And that's all you're gonna get from me. Um, I mean, I think we should, this is the question why you would do LinkedIn. Um, some people, they love to entertain. So um, there's no conversion behind it. You would just kind of like build audience. Some people would like to educate. Um, and usually a lot of people who are into educating others, they usually have this plan that they would like to sell something with this education. And there are some people on LinkedIn who educate, share things for free, and they don't really, there's no conversion plan in the back. They just write because they like writing and they like connecting with people, yeah? I would say definitely Christine Gallucci is one of these people um, on LinkedIn. I've been following her for quite a while. She's been LinkedIn top voice a few years ago. Um, and so it depends on a plan. So I, I would say there are two ways how you can approach that. Um, you can just kind of like try things out, start posting, see what resonates with your audience. So this is this community audience first approach. Um, and then you double down of, of whatever resonates with them. Another approach is if you already have a product in mind that you would like to sell, maybe this is a digital product, um, then probably it's a good idea to double down and go very, very niche. Um, you don't have to stay in this niche forever. A lot of LinkedIn coaches and trainers or anybody I would say famous on LinkedIn have started um, in, in both perspectives, general and then sp um, specific, or they have started very niche and then they kind of like expounded. 
but it's this is the same rule as is it for any go to market strategy um, you gotta go narrow first to have the focus because linkedin and i would say all the social media it's a very noisy place um, so that's one of the reasons why i guess people are recommending to do that and i would definitely do it as well if you would be to sell something but if you just do it for entertainment part or to educate the people because you love it and you have another regular job um, to do something else, then you could do whatever you want. You, 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 you post and you see what resonates and then you rinse and repeat and you grow. Um, there are quite a few examples with huge followings on LinkedIn uh, like that. Uh, right. So anything goes. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely agree with both sides of that. I sort of see it as a place to develop my voice as a writer um, in public and see what people think of my messages. And that can be broader or, or very specific. And then if I really down the line wanted to sell something specialized completely, the audience would be there to support me. So it makes sense. Um, how can people who are new to this, new to LinkedIn, new to writing in public, get beyond the imposter syndrome point. I'm not enough, I'm not good enough at this. I'm not an expert enough at this to write with authority on the topic. Uh, what, what advice would you have for them? I, I went through huge imposter. I mean, I still get it sometimes, but this was my episode on LinkedIn. Um, I, I would say it's a funny word, but I use it. Um, I, I used to be a LinkedIn lurker. So I would just look at other people and say, oh, how can this person write about that? And I know much more uh, than he or she does. And I just didn't, I was just connecting. I wasn't doing really any writing. Um, and I didn't even know this is called imposter syndrome uh, until uh, I discovered it uh, when I took the story skills class by Akimbo. Um, and I realized, wow, I had these major issues and it's normal. Um, people have that, uh, people who know a lot have that. So um, I would say probably the best way to get past that, first of all, that you are aware that something like that exists. Um, I wasn't. Um, and second of all, you got to execute, you got to write, it's, it, it's not going to go away. Um, and then the third thing that really helped me, it's probably um, to get into some peer group. Um, I still meet with my story skills buddies every two weeks and we do reviews and support each other. So kind of like get accountability buddies who've been facing similar issues. Um, and this is how you help each other. It's actually through peer support um, that um, uh, this is how you get loose up. I mean, this imposter syndrome, it's never really gonna go away. You just kind of learn how to dance with it better, I guess that's uh, the, the idea. Um, and yeah, I, I also have some clients who had huge issues uh, with that. Um, so it's still, yeah, some still of them still, some of them still do. Um, and uh, yeah, and some of them they started and then just get got going. So um, I, I think you have to give yourself permission to suck, you know, and then kind of like, and then it's gonna get better. And nobody's gonna remember what you've done like three years ago, you know. Uh, and um, it, you improve on that. But if you never ship anything, if you never publish anything, you're never gonna get there. It, this is the trick, basically. Um, 
it's never gonna get you from A to B um, if, if you don't try. It's kind of like do it and then think and do it and think. It's a lot of doing involved, yeah? Yeah, let's, let's dig into that doing a little bit because I hear a lot of, I hear people talk about the frequency, the cadence of publishing. So for someone on LinkedIn, what do you recommend they get into? How many posts, how many comments, how many connection requests? Where's a good place to start so that, you know, there's a lot of information about building habits, right? This is a very hot topic for people. But specifically for writing and, and writing on LinkedIn, what should the habit look like to help get off to a, a good start? I mean, I would say depending how ambitious you are. So if you are just starting out, I would say two to three posts per week um, would be good enough um, to kind of like test the waters, to learn how to write. And probably like th I, three to five comments um, each day, if you can manage that. This is not so much time. Of course, I remember my first post before I hit publish, it took me like two hours to write. <laughs> so it was, this was it. But we, when you learn and when you do it in bulk, or even if you do it um, day by day, you can do it really quickly. Yeah? Um, and in the long run, if you want to scale, I would say that uh, you got to try writing every day, uh, every weekday. So I post now five times a week. Um, the, the numbers, so per post, you would get low engagement numbers, but you would reach so much more people that it's totally worth it. Yeah. So it's, it's the game uh, is actually to post uh, regularly uh, because these actually your numbers uh, of people who see your posts go up. Because, you know, with this LinkedIn algorithm, people are afraid that if you post each day, you're going to spam your network, but it doesn't happen that way. LinkedIn would show only one out of five posts to each of each person in your network. So they wouldn't see you are posting that much. You think that you are spamming them, but they don't see it. So um, that's the difference. Yeah, it's interesting. And um, in terms of just getting the posts in front of people that are in your network, definitely frequency seems to matter a lot, as you've said. Uh, but on the other hand, I've seen people say things like, it's okay, or I like to follow people who don't write all the time, because I know that when they do write a post, it's going to be really good, it's going to be very actionable for me, and that's, those are the people that I like to follow. Is there any sort of counterpoint to that, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it totally depends. I follow people who post regularly and they really, I really write like almost every post they write. Um, and there are people who just share interesting stuff um, uh, and some people do it occasionally. So it, it depends. It really depends. Uh, I would not say because somebody writes more that it, this dilutes their writing. Uh, I, I don't think this is the case. Yeah. Um, so it really depends on an author and you can always mute them, you know, unfollow them if you kind of like are, if your feed is wrong, you can unfollow some people and, you know, things gonna get better. Um, so it depends. I would say sometimes quality and quantity, it's not, um, you can have both. Yeah, this is what I see. 
For sure. And I run into this when I'm browsing LinkedIn as well. You know, I feel like the more popular accounts that I follow within marketing or content, uh, I see their posts very often. And then I go into our company account and I see that, you know, my colleagues have posted and they wrote something that I would like to support, but I, but I only see that because they've tagged the company or um, some other way, and it's not in the main feed. So that's one of my sort of like complaints about LinkedIn, that people that are, are really close to me, connected to me, I work with them, uh, sometimes don't get onto my feed simply because they're not that active and they're not as popular as sort of the major thought leaders in the space. Um, do you have any comments on that or how can we sort of get around that? Yeah, LinkedIn keeps changing this, it's, uh, these rules, uh, the algorithm rules, but in general, they uh, discounted a few years ago, um, they discounted these thought leaders that already had a huge following and they tried to push more uh, your friends. So uh, basically your feed should be people who talk about things you like or you follow. Um, the, the new edition, it's this button, uh, the ring the bell button. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a little bell on each of the profiles. And mm -hmm. if you ring this bell, then basically you can, uh, you mostly get all of the posts of the person you've been following. I would say mostly. Um, I guess they've done it kind of like to repair what you <laughs> were saying that even if you wanted to follow people, they didn't appear in your feed. But nevertheless, um, this this LinkedIn algorithm, it's quite a black box. So I would propose, this is what I usually say to clients. Um, uh, if you want to kind of like share your posts, um, uh, open a chat on LinkedIn and whenever you post, share it there. And this is how you're not going to miss uh, the post and people will engage and read it. If you are, it's, it's in between colleagues, this is awesome. I mean, you support each other's posts um, and you can comment and read everything. So it's kind of like a ticker box in a way yeah, uh, of, of posts that people produce. Um, and you can, it's not an engagement pod because this is against LinkedIn rules. It's just don't miss my post because uh, I know you want it to comment this kind of thing. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I'll check out the uh, little bell on the profiles and yeah, see if that... Yeah, it should work. I, so I, I'm not so sure because it's new. For me, I would follow some people, I uh, would ring the bell, and then next time I would land on their profile, uh, it wouldn't work, but hopefully this was just a glitch, yeah. Uh, I think the intentions were uh, actually to improve the feed. But your feed on LinkedIn, it's actually defined by a lot of things. It's actually defined by top three skills that you have selected. So if you don't optimize your profile right, um, you're going to get crappy feed. Yeah. And if you don't engage with the right people, uh, again, you're going to get crappy feed. And if you don't follow the hashtags, uh, the themes that you like, uh, again, weird stuff is going to appear. So. I, I keep hearing on LinkedIn, you know, people complain, oh, it's this algorithm, I get this crappy feed. And I say, no, it's your fault because you haven't done your homework. Um, uh, but you can really get good, good um, feed eventually if you work on it. It's like a muscle, I would say, to train it. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's dive in a little bit to the, the profile side, your personal LinkedIn profile. A few of your posts, the step one of this going down this e-networking road, this brand building road is 
build your minimal build your minimum viable personal LinkedIn profile. So what does that mean to you? What are the key ingredients and why is it so important? Well, um, I, I coached a lot of people and in this long masterclass I did, we were focusing how to build a LinkedIn summary. And this is extremely hard and very frustrating, especially if people had like multi-passionate careers because you got to tell your story and your values. So I figured for starters, when they just kind of like do discovery phase on LinkedIn and they just want to network, we skip that part and we focus on other elements of LinkedIn profile that are as important. That's why it's minimum viable because you still got to do a compelling summary someday, but not maybe the first round. So um, yeah, here it's this basic optimization, but the first two things, if you only ask me out of this minimum viable, what are the two things to focus on? It's your photo. Uh, that you have a good headshot and of course that you really kind of like look like that when you appear on zoom <laughs> there are some mismatches on that people are like dorian gray the opposite My, mine, mine's a little <laughs> outdated yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> usually, no, usually what i'm surprised it's with women they would have like a much younger photo uh -huh. and they would appear they would be 20 plus years and you would go like whoa <laughs> uh, but okay uh, with men, it's this beard, no beard uh, thing sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, the second one is actually your headline, yeah, on LinkedIn. Um, because uh, look at it, 75% of people consume uh, content on LinkedIn on a mobile phone. And so your headshot's going to appear as this tiny, tiny thing. Uh, and only you're going to see a person's headline. And if the headline is wrong or if you use this, precious real estate for something that it's not relevant. Let's say that you say, I'm a business director. Nobody's going to read this further. So you got to kind of like cram the right things in your headline and 50, the first 50 characters really matter. So people usually don't optimize it properly. Um, and they, I don't know, maybe somebody else set up their LinkedIn profile and they're quite sloppy. Like for instance, they would have like an open profile. You would Google them, land on their profile, but then they would have a closed photo. So uh, nobody would be able to see the photo. Uh, and they are only showing this photo to the first degree uh, connections in their network, which is plain wrong because if it's a networking tool, you should use your photo. Probably when people Google you, your face is all over uh, the internet. Um, so yeah, this is where you start. Um, this is where you start. And then there is this basic credibility building Yeah, your skills, where you worked, uh, schools, because you want to connect with people from your past. And that's why schools are important. Um, all that goes into this minimum viable uh, LinkedIn profile. Um, and then you're off you go. I mean, um, and when you start networking or e-networking, um, you're going to figure then the summary down the road. Uh, it takes a while, uh, as I said, if you don't have uh, a linear career. If you have a linear career, like you've been working 30 years in a bank, uh, that's kind of like easier. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, speaking personally, my career has taken a few twists and turns. So I don't know how many people actually look down at my history, but if they do, maybe it'll spark some interesting conversations or questions about how I got to where I am now. And that's always good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about 
Besides imposter syndrome, um, what are some of the fears that founders might have to being more public, whether it's on LinkedIn or another channel? You mentioned that it took you a while to write your first post. I've heard that from colleagues that I work with. Man, this is hard. It takes a lot of time. I don't know what to write. Um, what are, how can we sort of address those fears and get beyond it? Yeah, I would say uh, if we are talking about founders, it's actually, they are spread all over the place. So it's hard actually for them to commit to something that they don't see like immediate value because, you know, in the beginning, you want to kind of like do things that move the needle. Uh, nevertheless, I still, I vote for this sh sharing and building in public because a lot of times what it happens is you've been working so hard, but having uh, I mostly could see work, work with B2B tech founders who have this product first mentality. So kind of like engineers, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And this is this approach of product first, um, it's kind of passe, yeah. I would say it's 10, year, 10 plus years old. So when you kind of like get in front of VCs to get the funding, and if you don't have um, any professional online identity. So basically people Google you and some weird things come out. That's very bad for you. You know, you're probably not going to get the funding. Um, people don't realize that until it's kind of like really late. Um, so there's what th th this is this aspect. Yeah. Another one um, that I see, it's actually that some founders are very good in, write at write in writing and some are the, are not. I mean, this is a skill. You have to learn the skill. Um, and the skill is this conversion copywriting and storytelling. And not all people have that. So basically, you would have to upskill for that um, in order to be successful. Um, I found, I, I thought I couldn't write either until I took this story skills class. I was really, really slow, you know. But um, so that's another aspect. It's uh, about upskilling. Um, and yeah, the third one, it's definitely, you don't really see quick returns. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you think you could outsource it to somebody else, but it's never gonna work that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th I would say these are the three mo things that, that kind of like are holding people back. Yeah. It's the time, the skills, um, and the aptitude, yeah, whether they like it or not. Some people are really shy, yeah. Um, they just don't want to get exposed. They feel bad, yeah. So um, I don't think you can force them if they don't want to. So even if you push them, that's kind of like my takeaway. Yeah, it makes sense. And I've noticed just for myself um, the last couple of weeks, in, I, I just stopped overthinking what I was posting. When I had an idea, I made sure to either make a note on my phone if I was out doing something else, or just sit down and write the first draft immediately, go get a coffee, come back to it, edit it a little bit, and ship it, and just not even worry about it anymore. Because if I have those things that I want to share, and I sort of ruminate about it. I think about it for a couple of days. Oh, tomorrow I'll write it down and I'll share it with the network. Then eventually, you know, tomorrow I have other things to do. I forget about the idea. It's gone. So that has been sort of my technique for now is to just make sure that if I have an idea to share, I get it down on paper or Google Doc and send it out. 
yeah. as soon as possible. Yes, 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 yes to all of that. <laughs> you see, it's kind of like this: you gotta ship it, you gotta ship it, um, and then with that you learn. Uh, but I can tell you um, the reason why I got into this e-networking because there are people who are not going to be posting every day. They're not this creative type. So I, I found like another technique that would work perfectly on LinkedIn if you're a B2B founder. Um, uh, just recently, I coached a guy who, um, who does um, for this Industry 4.0. Uh, automation and robots. So he would do the quality control. Uh, so it's basically a service that he offers. And he was going to Computer Vision, which is the largest trade show um, in Germany and all the people from all over the world come. Um, and um, I said, oh, write a post, do this. And he was like really reluctant. But then uh, it was interesting because um, I told him just connect with all the people who said they're going to go to the trade show, you know, write them something nice. Of course, a prerequisite was that he had a polished LinkedIn profile, uh, what he was doing with the photo and call to actions. And out of that, you know, he got a couple of opportunities, clients later on. So he didn't have to kind of like post or, and have all the content strategy, how he's going to do it. He basically just connected with the people. And because it was so clear on LinkedIn what he was doing, he got the job. So I think people on LinkedIn, I would say, also elsewhere, they don't put enough effort to polish their profile. Because there's one, I would say the whole catch is, um, Taylor Whitney said this quote, uh, it's not important uh, whom you know and what you know in the digital age, but in the digital age, it's important who knows what you know. So I try to use that when I coach people, because, um, for instance, if um, you would land on somebody else's profile and it would be totally clear what they're up to, um, and I, if I would have needed their service, uh, you would refer them to me. So you would not refer them because they're your friend. You would, you would refer them because you would want to help me. So it's this the opposite of the friend referral that it works. Of course, it's only going to work if your profile is crystal clear. If it's not, you're not going to get this kind of referrals. Yeah. Um, and yeah, some B2B tech guys, where, when they really have like a specialized service, that not a lot of people offer. This is like a quick way. They're, they don't really need to put so much into their personal branding expressions, whatever. Uh, there's not much to do. It's just, they just have to be clear on what they do and things happen, yeah. For sure. Uh, I want to switch a little bit now and get into what, what's your specialty, which is e-networking. First of all, is this fundamentally different from what we've talked about so far in terms of building a personal brand? Uh, what are the different aspects of it? Is there a different goal? Tell us a little bit about okay, it. Okay, so um, a lot of people, I would say, there are you know, all different shades of gray, as I say, it's never black and white. So maybe just kind of like first, the difference between networking and e-networking, you could call, say it's all the same, but I kind of like draw a line here because it used to be how we network that we met people in person and then we connect with them via social media. This was kind of like the old game. 
And because of COVID, uh, uh, all this changed. And now we mostly meet people online and then we connect with them and follow them on social media. And then maybe eventually we meet them in person and maybe we never meet them because they, they are, I don't know, living all over the world. Um, and we just uh, meet with them over Zoom uh, or any other uh, uh, tool uh, for video conferencing. Uh, so this is digital first uh, connection became much more important and a lot of people have not been prepared for that. Uh, like they are not used to uh, network on Zoom events, like they would hide themselves, they wouldn't even write their name um, and they would be really uncomfortable. I was surprised uh, reaching out to people and writing them direct messages. So this is not a sales message, it's just uh, a networking message, yeah? Um, so I was running um, um, last year a few workshops uh, in the end of the year, and I said, let's practice e-networking. Uh, and I said, okay, now we are here on this event, um, and uh, uh, let's connect with the people who said they're going to plan to attend the event. Find somebody from your country or find somebody if you like. Read their profile and write something nice. And if you really like them, invite them for e-coffee. And people have been very, very uncomfortable doing that. <laughs> they said, wow, this was, I, I mean, some people are not, I know for sure. Uh, so this is actually a soft skill. This is how I actually got into this e-networking thing because I realized actually the soft skill, it's a problem. It's not the LinkedIn. LinkedIn has everything. But if you don't master this soft skill, you're not gonna win in this decade, <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Yeah, and um, it doesn't really sound that different from, from real life or real events that you go to, whether it's a conference or whatever, you know, off some, it's a personality thing. Some people will go there, they will know one or two people at the conference, and they'll spend the whole conference just talking with those one or two people and maybe their friends. And they'll stand over there and drink coffee together and go to the same seminars. And some people can go to that conference and meet you know 30 new people and have so many different conversations with new people in two days and they come away with a whole new network of, of connections uh, but it, you know introverts extroverts they're, they're different people yeah and and um just funny that you mentioned that because a lot of people gave me feedback that they're actually introverts and they found this LinkedIn approach or whatever social media, but I would say LinkedIn, it's easiest and quickest. Um, they actually found it quite comfortable versus the in-person events where you have to really kind of like <laughs> go there and say, oh, blah, 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 blah. So this messaging thing, it works for introverts actually even better uh, than live events, yeah. And then of course, when you already met somebody digitally, it's very easy when you meet them in person, yeah? Because they, you already follow them, you know, you know what this person, you just kind of like take the conversation where you left it and expound on it. Yeah, for sure. And you already have, you have background knowledge, you know what they're working on, you know what they've published lately, all of that stuff. It makes conversation a lot easier. And um, maybe just to add on this, um, uh, it's so important also, it's not so much about building the network for yourself. Actually, the value of network is introducing other people to um, your people in the network. So if you would need, if you would come to me and you would need help 
uh, and then I would go through my network and I said, oh, maybe this person can help you. I can introduce you to this one or I can introduce you to this one. Actually, this is the power of networking. And if people have LinkedIn profiles, uh, this is actually kind of like speed networking. It's so much easier um, than writing an email. You could always do that via email, but I kind of like see this is the old way. Um, if you kind of just connect two profiles, you don't have to explain the background because it's all clear. I'm connecting this person with this one. And then you can just go and read the profile and it's all there. You don't, I don't have to kind of like spend 15 minutes writing the introductory mail and say, oh, this person came from there and he needs this because of this. It's, it's, it's much faster. And this is then a low lift request, yeah? Because you don't want to kind of like, if you ask for a favor for introduction, you don't want to kind of like do uh, ask complicated things that take a lot of time. But if it's a two minute job, you know, people will be willing to help you out in no time. So I guess this is also another thing uh, with this e-networking or networking in general. All right. Um, I guess that brings up an interesting question that we had was, you've already talked about some of the advantages of LinkedIn. It's faster, it fits more of how we connect with people in, in, in today's time. But how can we dis, uh, how can we eliminate some of the disadvantages that come from digital first or online communications? Uh, I know people get sick of Zoom webinars. People get sick of everything being digital. You know, there is fatigue. You know, I get off of some calls, uh, even with our team, and I, and I like all these people, but it, it's tiring. Uh, in a different way than it would be if you were sort of all sitting in the same room. Um, so what's your take on that? How can we make it a little bit more enjoyable or is this something that we'll just get used to over time? Yeah, I, I, I mean, look at it. It's a two-edged sword, like you're saying, but we, I would say, I always say we never had such an opportunity to meet so many people uh, online that we would never meet because they are sitting in another part of the world. So I think these online communities, I'm part of a few, um, they are something. And there's no way you could meet with these people. You gotta go on Zoom because they are sitting in different places in the world. But nevertheless, this is the beauty because this gives you diversity um, and different opinions. Um, but, but I always strive, and I think this is what people should also strive. For instance, if I travel somewhere, even if I go for pleasure, I would check on LinkedIn who from my network lives there and I go and invite them for coffee, for real coffee, in person coffee. Yeah, yeah. So I think you should always strive um, uh, to kind of like meet people in person as well. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, this is the way things are done. And if we're looking at this more from a business perspective, um, I don't think these events, uh, trade shows and conferences, uh, they, they will not die. They're going to be back <laughs> uh, big time. Um, and it's okay if there is some hybridity. So it's a hybrid event because not all the people can hang out. But people love in-person contact. So events are back or where, where they are. Maybe they're rescheduled, but I think eventually big shows are coming back. Yeah. Um, so, and here it's important, you can cultivate the same, it's the same name of the game, even for business purpose. 
you can cultivate these relations and then uh, see people in person. Um, so it's, uh, this is how it works. Um, yeah, um, I, I've been organizing this LinkedIn local. Um, I don't know if you heard about this movement. Only, only from you. Uh, oh, you okay. You're the first person that's talked about uh, it a lot. It's, it's actually um, a, girl, a lady from Australia, Anna McAfee. Um, she lived in the suburbs and she invited uh, people um, to meet for coffee who are on LinkedIn. So she wanted to meet people locally. Uh, and so many people showed up and that has grown in a huge, I would say global movement uh, where people have been organizing LinkedIn locals. Um, so I started to organize the one here and it's basically its purpose is that, yeah. Um, you meet people behind LinkedIn profiles. So people like to meet in person um, and usually they would never meet before. Um, uh, they would never meet like that uh, through LinkedIn. So I think it's this off and on networking, if you call it, uh, it's always gonna be because people will prefer in-person contact where it's possible, yeah. But the beauty of it is that you would never have so many diversity and interesting people if you would just limit yourself to in-person contacts. Yeah, so it's a combination uh, of both worlds. For sure, for sure. And um, one other thing I'm interested about, and this is uh, just a personal thing. Community is such an important part, and a lot of startups and a lot of tech companies are trying to build a community around their product in different ways. And there are a lot of different software platforms that they can use for this. But LinkedIn doesn't seem to be one of those solutions for actually community building and engagement. And it seems to me because uh, LinkedIn groups is kind of just not functioning very well. I'm in a few of them. I don't often see posts from the groups that I'm in. And every time I jump back into that group page, it's a ghost town. It's just people spamming links there, not a lot of conversation happening, and it just doesn't seem worthwhile. Um, how do you think we can sort of merge together these two goals of building a network on LinkedIn and also building a community around a user group or a product itself? Yeah, it's, this is a tough one. Um, I've been following this and actually just I mentioned Anna McAfee. She actually had some webinars, some LinkedIn live talks around these groups. And uh, LinkedIn had a huge opportunity, let's say 10 years ago, uh, but they just kind of like dissed these groups. Nobody knows why. Um, it was actually a, an awesome tool because the, everything was already there, um, but they never kind of like, push the development in that direction. So not really sure what their roadmap is. Uh, I know a lot of people have been saying that it's a sad thing, like that groups are not working, um, but yet people are now floating to other groups. So what is an interesting thing, uh, I'm in two groups of people who are like LinkedIn experts and they would have then community groups on Facebook. <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. That's lame, but it's exactly because LinkedIn groups have not been working and it was much more engagement um, on, on that. So uh, I don't think I have an answer to that. Yeah, uh, it's more observations. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. 
but yeah, I, I okay. mighty networks or or uh, circle you know there now a lot of these other solutions have popped out uh, where you can also monetize your community or charge subscriptions so yeah uh, that's not going on on linkedin <laughs> Uh, I guess they are they're choosing other priorities uh, to develop. Um, so who knows yeah, where this is on the roadmap. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, because like you said, uh, this is this was a huge opportunity. Um, For sure. All right. Uh, let's get back to events, I guess, on LinkedIn. And I, I saw in one that you had, uh, I saw the, I watched the recording and you said there that everyone who I guess this is a priority for them is their LinkedIn uh, personal brand building or e-networking. Everyone should take the time to attend a networking event at least once per month. Uh, why did you set that as a minimum? And um, I guess what's the benefit of once a month joining a networking event? Well, networking once a month is, the reason why I've said that, it's kind of like a minimum in a way that especially women i don't know about guys but i would say women predominantly uh when they have when we have kids and a lot of home chores we get into this bubble and we don't go anywhere and this is really bad because uh, maybe your career in the company you are working for it's not going to last forever and the, the one thing that you will need when you're going to lose the job or when you would want to change the career because you don't like to work anywhere, it's your network. This is 80% of the jobs are actually, before they are advertised, they are already filled through the network. So people, yeah. companies advertise just only when they cannot find people directly. They would never mm -hmm. go advertise if they would found them. So you are missing a huge opportunity here. And I, 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 had this LinkedIn loco with um, two professionals uh, that were like on the height of their career. Um, and we asked everybody, I think it was mostly women, but almost like 50 plus people on the event. And we would ask them what, if they would give uh, an advice to their younger self, what professionally, what, what kind of advice they would give. And most of the people said they regret they haven't started to build their network sooner. So this is where we, I would say, really screw up <laughs> in a way uh, because we are so focused on something, but it's basically like compound interest. Yeah, it's it's like investing early to earn compound interest. Uh, it's your real estate. Uh, so that's one of the reasons because why I said you should attend and you should be open to this serendipity drive that you don't network only with people this is not, by the way, networking, uh, that you meet with people that you're going to have uh, a return on investment on. And this could be kind of like prospecting. Uh, networking, it's actually meeting people where you don't expect anything in return. That's the whole point. But because you compound these relationships and interest and you maybe help people on the way, which is for free, uh, this get, gets returned. So when you reach out and you need help, you, you, you get it. Yeah. It's kind of like a bank type of thing. Yeah. Or, or when you decide to start your own startup and exactly, you, whatever, you yeah. have that network there to support yeah. you for um, sure. So, so it's actually even, um, people have been talking a lot about that. So, so that's, that's 
that's what it is. You gotta be in the game. Like you go for a beer with friends or whatever to meet new people that have, you know, that would not cross your path unless you would go to some networking event and meet them there. Um, so that's the idea. Or you could just join a community and meet people there as well. That's another uh, way to do it. For sure. And I've noticed that with the rise in different communities and not just professionally, like in, you know, hobbies, sports interests that people have, you know, different outside of work interests. It's just, it's a lot of time sort of to keep up with. You, you have to focus on communities where you really, I don't know, enjoy the experience or you think that down the road there might be some professional benefit to it. Um, because it takes time to, to check all the posts and it's different slacks and discords and all these places where you have interests. You, you cannot be everywhere. I used to sail for 10 years and it's so interesting. I met so many interesting people through sailing. I would never have met them otherwise. Um, so it, it doesn't need to be an online community, although we are now more inclined to online communities. It can be a sport, a hobby, right. um, um, and you would still kind of like expand your network. But people are, some people are just in a bubble, you know, it's family, home, family, home, and that's it. They are in this hamster wheel. And when they would need the safety net to reach out, they don't have any. And then bad things happen, yeah, um, unfortunately. So, so you got to kind of like start early. Um, I, I really advise that to everybody. And I mean, if you studied in US, usually um, the, how is it called? The career placement office. This is something they would teach you. But in Europe, um, they are not that blatant about it, how important it's to build the network. Uh, I would say US schools do a better job here uh, than um, I would say U European ones, yeah. That's interesting. All right, well, I have uh, one last question and then we'll sort of wrap up. Uh, but you talked about starting early. So I'm just curious, um, do you think that LinkedIn is really appealing for uh, much younger professionals? Uh, is Gen Z going to be using the same network or is it going to be something completely different that we can't really anticipate yet? Yeah, I, I, there are already signs of that. Although now, um, uh, the I think it's about. I was looking at the LinkedIn trends. It's uh, sixty percent of people now on LinkedIn, or even seventy. The huge, the largest group that it's actually growing, it's people between twenty-five and thirty-five. This is now young professionals, or I would say mid professionals. Um, and yeah, Gen Z is not there yet. Uh, I think they're much more on TikTok. Um, and there is also another uh, professional network that has been created. Um, I think its name is Polywar, um, mm -hmm. uh, if you heard of it. Um, and it's basically has this notion that we were discussing in the beginning that people connect uh, because of the projects, because of the interesting stuff you've done, not because of your title, which sometimes it's hard to get past that on LinkedIn. So um, it, and it, uh, I think this is kind of like a Gen Z uh, or for people with hybrid careers, um, uh, networking space. And also 
I would say, who knows, maybe there's gonna be some virtual reality networking. So it's, it's a lot of these possibilities. For sure, LinkedIn, maybe it's kind of like old school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm actually I'm actually on on Polywork already. I've been posting there for almost two months. It's interesting. I I'm not sure the the feed mechanics are very different from LinkedIn, and um, there's not very much engagement. At least it seems to me. But it is very easy to sort of connect to people around specific. Uh, either podcasts or projects that you want to do collaboratively. So it's an interesting space. I'd recommend checking it out. Yeah, I, 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 was, I already have a profile, but I wasn't really active. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, but uh, I want to check it out because I think it's interesting. Um, it's just, it's always, you know, whenever, what I find interesting, um, um, it's whenever you want to kind of like, it's a networking event or, um, you would go. You would go to to a cohort-based class uh, like I run. Um, it's always they would say your Twitter account and your LinkedIn account. And somewhere it's just when it's a virtual event uh, or a virtual matchmaking, it's just your LinkedIn account. It became kind of like a norm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I think this is going to be hard to escape. Um, so we'll see what happens, but. Um, at the moment, it's kind of like a business standard. Yeah, if you don't have a LinkedIn and you are in professional services, um, it looks weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even if you do an awesome job. Uh, uh, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much. Just to wrap up, for people that want to take the the, the top advice, your advice for starting and posting regularly was uh, two or three posts per week. Uh, five or six comments per day and make sure and yeah and make sure that you have uh, a really polished and clear and beautiful profile that people will be able to understand your experience and your expertise very quickly exactly and adding and adding new people every day let's say 20 people per week this is the minimum okay um, uh, we could add on the top of this list. All right. All right. So add new people as well. Uh, Yasna, thank you so much for joining me today. And I want to share that we will be having a webinar with you next month on March 24th. Uh, for all of our listeners, you can find that event on Parallax LinkedIn profile. And I'm sure we're going to be sharing a link to it when we share this interview. I look forward to that. I hope that we get a lot of more interesting questions based on what we've discussed here. I hope it doesn't get too detailed for you, uh, but it's gonna be exciting and thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me. It has been a real pleasure. All right, have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.